Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Mullaney with Senior Housing News. The senior housing and care insurance marketplace has been hardening significantly over the last few years, and 2021 will continue to see deepening rate increases, capacity shortages, and coverage retrenchments. That's according to the latest Willis Towers Watson Marketplace Realities Report for Senior Living and Long-Term Care. On this episode of Transform, I'm joined by Willis Towers Watson's John Atkinson, Managing Director, Senior Living Center of Excellence at the Global Advisory Broking and Solutions Company. John explains the forces behind the hard market, shares insights into how senior living providers can navigate current challenges related to insurance and risk management, and addresses what the future might hold, including the outlook on limited litigation protection as the Biden administration takes office. Before we get to my interview with John, I'd like to take a moment to highlight the annual Senior Housing News Build Conference. In 2021, Build will take place November 17th and 18th in Chicago. Join us to hear how innovators, disruptors, and industry players are redefining development and design for a new era of senior living. Learn more at seniorhousingnews.com forward slash event forward slash build. Now here's my interview with John Atkinson, Managing Director, Senior Living Center of Excellence at Willis Towers Watson. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I know we've got a lot to talk about today, so I want to jump right in. Part of the occasion for us talking is that Willis Towers Watson put out their Insurance Marketplace Realities 2021 report for senior living and long-term care. There's a lot of takeaways from that report that I think we want to discuss today. But a key takeaway from the report is that the senior care marketplace, insurance marketplace is hardening. There are deepening rate increases, capacity shortages, coverage retrenchments. So uh, my first question is just simply, why are we in this hard market? Great question. And I think if I could make a a distinction, the, the hardening of the insurance market, like over the last 18 to 24 months has affected multiple sectors and multiple lines of business. So workers' comp, property, general professional liability, excess, general liability for non-healthcare-related organizations. The marketplace has been hardening significantly you know, over the last two years, as I mentioned. But the senior care market, you know, we started to see you know, a gathering storm you know, maybe two and a half, almost three years ago, as we started to see claim severity and frequency increase uh, there were some pretty significant issues in the senior care space with respect to litigation in certain venues. And it took the insurance marketplace a couple of years to really absorb what was happening. But the underwriters started to realize that prior years uh, were performing pretty badly and there was a significant loss development. And so it started to impact how uh, carriers' appetites were affected. The broader hardening of the marketplace, which we're experiencing right now, is a culmination of a number of factors. And, you know, it's a pretty significant hardening when we think about the historical cyclical swings of the property and casualty marketplace. It feels a lot like the hard market of the mid 1980s, which was driven uh, by, you know, significant changes in risk exposures um, in the country. And then 
there was just a withdrawal of capacity by carriers not willing to to write those kinds of risks. So we're, we're seeing that sort of impact on the liability and excess and auto line of business. But we've we've really seen you know persistent events, namely nat- natural ca- catastrophes from 2017, 2018. We've had years of declining prices and historically low interest rates. And so this particular market reacted, you know, fairly abruptly and it was a significant hardening, you know, across the board. Got it. Um, well, can you tell me about capacity in the marketplace and insurer strategies and how they're deploying capacity? Yeah, so capacity is is a challenge in certain sectors, particularly in the long-term care sector and senior housing. So, you know, from a liability perspective, you know, there were a number of carriers, maybe a dozen uh, or so that were writing general and professional liability in excess for senior living, where, you know, which is really the assisted living and memory care space and long-term care, which includes skilled nursing. And, you know, as these trends started to appear, carriers Loss ratios were going up, and they were they were realizing they're really underwater from a profitability standpoint. So they some carriers completely withdrew from writing any insurance in this industry sector, uh, and those that remain have determined that they're going to limit sometimes what venues they're going to write in. So, for example, the state of California, uh, state of Florida, you know, are two very difficult uh, litigation environments where we're seeing claim trends deteriorate at a much more rapid pace, and the severity of the claims is increasing. So the verdicts and settlements are going up. And, you know, we see carriers really limiting their capacity that way. And then the third way is is by uh, limiting the amount of insurance coverage they'll put up. So for example, you know, we had a number of clients that, that buy $25 million of excess coverage in years past, they could buy that with one, maybe two carriers. So maybe a, a lead 15 million and then a 10 on top. Some carriers would write the full 25. Well, now that's been cut back significantly, and most carriers are only willing to put up a maximum of $5 million, some less than that, depending upon the venue. Wow. Do you foresee any further coverage carbacks? Well, right now we're in an environment where um, the carriers are still reacting to the pandemic. Wasn't, it didn't take them too long after uh, this hit early Q2, April, we started to see carriers put in pandemic exclusions or COVID-19 exclusions. Carriers are starting to, if they haven't already, put in class action exclusions to eliminate any potential coverage or defense coverage for claims arising out of class actions brought related to non-bodily injury related claims. So staffing, understaffing claims, things like that, marketing, uh, discrimination, those sorts of, of claims. So there's carbacks there. You know, we're starting to see uh, carriers potentially limit exposure to high severity claims. So uh, some carriers are putting caps on how much of a limit or putting a sublimit, if you will, on claims arising out of uh, sex, sexual abuse or molestation. So you know that uh, type of scenario can be really impactful to to to, to uh, organizations who do all the right things, do all the background checks, and monitor their employees. But you know, sadly, some employees are you know are inclined to conduct such acts, and and those can be excluded in some of the uh, programs that we're seeing now. So 
you know, we, I know we don't want to make this conversation, I think, too promotional for Willis Towers Watson, but I do want to ask a question just to give an idea of, give our listeners an idea of what can be done. What is Willis Towers Watson doing to help clients achieve sort of best-in-class results given the, the current market? Yeah, well, no, it's a good question, and, and you know, and I don't, I want to make sure this is informative to people and not, and not a commercial. But what we do is we, as you know, we, I lead along with a, my partner Mike Bacora, the Center of Excellence for Willis Towers Watson, headquartered in Chicago, and this is where we have aggregated all of our uh, senior housing, senior care, assisted living business, and all of our clients are served by a, a by a team of about forty people, and we've got different subject matter experts, and so we're focused on this, you know, as opposed to some that the dabble or or kind of generalist. And really, it's the blocking and tackling. So in order to get the best results, you need to be able to differentiate a client to the insurance marketplace. So we do a significant deep dive on data, uh, and we look at their prior loss history. We go into the details of claims. We look at where they're occurring, how they how they occur, and we we work with our own internal clinical risk management experts who are you know, former or nurses and, and former, you know, operators uh, of senior living communities who know the inside and outs of the of the operations. We have them take a look at the data and look at the publicly available information and really kind of build the story around the management team, around the controls that they have in place, around their commitment to getting their employees continuing education and credentialed. And, and so, as we work to build that story and that narrative for an underwriter, we're also introducing the clients, whether they're existing clients of a carrier or prospective potential clients. You know, we work really hard to make sure that there's ongoing relationships that are being built face-to-face meetings in the old days, Zoom meetings today. We're making sure that the clients are meeting the underwriters that are in this space and the underwriters have an opportunity to, you know, kind of kick the tires and, and meet the management team. Finally, I mean, what we really bring to the table is that the underwriters have an understanding that that our clients have ongoing risk management focus and services that we provide, and so you know, and we're not the only ones that do this. So it's it's really about wh- how do we, you know, once once an underwriter writes a piece of business, how do we make sure that the account performs well, that they're focused on minimizing claims, reducing incidents and managing claims effectively. So everybody's interests are aligned and and we have the resources to be able to continue to deliver on those services after the sale. And, you know, we leverage relationships. So because we're, you know, the not the largest, at least one of the largest uh, in this space, we have very strong relationships with the five or six significant underwriters out there. And, you know, we work hard to make sure that we get the best deal for our clients. Uh, so you brought up the word relationship, which I think is key in you know a lot of aspects of business and senior housing business is certainly no exception. Can you talk a little bit about the relationships between insureds and carriers and the importance of those relationships and how to strengthen those? Yeah, I think it's um, it's really important that the underwriters feel that these relationships are important to the insured. And that, you know, they're not going to be price shopping every year, you know, like between Geico and Progressive. And if they see a commercial, there's a, you know, they call a one hit a number, get an auto quote. That's not how this business is transacted effectively. And underwriters will shy away 
from those organizations that view it in that light. Um, and so relationships are important. We work hard to make sure they're not one-way relationships and that there is a, you know, the carriers, you know, value the relationship and are willing to make the kind of accommodations you make in a partnership. And the client has to carry, you know, their side of the bargain and work, work hard on improving the risk and, you know, instituting policies and procedures that, that impact, you know, losses and resident quality and associate safety, that sort of thing. And so we think they're very important and we encourage them. We also encourage the C-suite of our organization uh, clients to meet directly with underwriters along with who may be responsible for risk within their organization. So some companies have risk managers, sometimes uh, legal department procures insurance. Most often it's probably handled through the CFO but uh, or, or a designee. And so it's really important to make sure that the insurance company leaders, so we bring the senior leaders of the insurance company together with the senior leader leaders of our client organizations and really work to help foster those kind of relationships. And so that happens at NIC and it happens at ASHA and it happens at Argentum conferences. And today we have to be a lot more uh, intentional about creating those pathways because we don't have face-to-face conferences uh, where we're able to network anymore and set up those meetings, but it is important. Great. And so the pandemic obviously has come up a few times already in our conversation. Can you talk a little bit about the moratoriums on new business that are occurring during the pandemic and how they might be adding additional distress to the general liability and professional liability market? Yeah, I mean, it's real. And it was it was even more acute early on in the pandemic where I think you couldn't pick up a Wall Street Journal or a New York Times or a Chicago Tribune without reading about another pandemic disaster in a, in a nursing home. And so we expected that the senior leaders and board directors of large insurance companies might start asking questions of, you know, what are we doing? How much exposure do we have to COVID? And in what sectors? And so, you know, a lot of the underwriters that, that lead the long-term care groups within their insurance carriers, you know, were, were were really scrambling to make sure they understood what the exposure was. So we saw some companies put a pause, some put a moratorium, some actually withdrew from the from the space. And you know, we are starting to see, and that did impact the marketplace, no, no doubt about it. We're starting to see new capital, you know, come into the space where whether it's private equity or recapitalization of existing facilities to provide coverage uh, so that they can take advantage of what is now, you know, a, a pretty significant, you know, rate increasing environment. So, you know, we see it changing a bit, but so far the moratoriums and the, the focus on underwriting is, has continued with, with some of the carriers. And what are underwriters focusing on amid the pandemic? How does infection control and clinical loss prevention measures affect renewal outcomes? Well, you know, a number of underwriters have come out with questionnaires where they're asking some pretty detailed questions about infection control and about COVID. Uh, When, you know, you can be extremely effective at at infection control, which, by the way, most of the, the industry is very, very effective at this because they they see infections uh, and infectious diseases in their communities or in the broader community that they operate in very often. You think about the flu, you think about 
which which impacts uh, el- the elderly population more adversely than than the rest of the population. But there are significant illnesses and deaths that arise out of you know, non-pandemic related infectious diseases, be it the flu or a Norwalk virus or something like that. And so, you know, our clients generally were pretty well prepared. What was different about this pandemic was there was conflicting CDC and state guidance and public health guidance and local guidance there in terms of the infection control measures that needed to be deployed. There was a lack of understanding about the impact of PPE because of asymptomatic spread. So you have, and the inability to, to really test associates or residents effectively on a widespread basis, you know, for the first several months of the pandemic. So you got kind of a perfect storm, right? You've got the pandemic coming in, you have uh, no idea whether it's in your community or not early on because of asymptomatic spread, particularly with, uh, with associates. And uh, as the industry pivoted and reacted to, you know, their own lockdowns and, and securing things, we started to see the infection rates go down. But for a period of time, it was very difficult for anybody to be able to manage the exposure without really knowing that, you know, you had all of these na- the characteristics of the virus that, that we weren't really sure about early on. Mm-hmm. Well, so the conversation's been a little bleak, I think, so far, but... The good news, obviously, is that we've got this vaccine now, and right. we were talking just a day after we reported that Atria Senior Living is mandating that its workers are vaccinated. But I guess I'm just curious, are you seeing clients that are mandating or anticipating mandating vaccination for employees, and does that create any potential insurance-related issues? Well, it is a we are seeing clients do it and i think you know there are potential employment practices liability insurance issues we just published a white paper on that um which i'd be happy to forward uh, to you the real issue here is making sure that the associates and the residents are educated about the vaccine that there are sources for people to go to to get questions. So we're working with a number of our clients on who are interested in contracting with uh, third-party organizations to be inbound call centers with medical folks on the other end that can help answer questions of their of their associates and of the of residents who may have who may have some questions. But we're actually seeing, you know, a number of our clients are experiencing, you know, pretty high take up without mandatory uh, vaccinations. Uh, But I wouldn't be surprised to see more organizations migrating towards mandatory uh, vaccinations. Got it. So um, it's an open question when the pandemic might start to get under control as, as you know, the vaccines roll out over the course of 2021. But the issues with the insurance market, like you said, at the top of our conversation predate the pandemic and tie back to you know some of the natural catastrophes and other dynamics that have been in place. So I'm curious uh, about if you have any sense of when you think the hard insurance market might start to let up. Well, that's putting me on the spot. Too, okay. <laughs> um, it will be you know, April 13th of 2022. No. That's, yeah, that's um, exactly uh, the specificity I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, here, look, there are some positive signs. I mean, I think the certainly the property marketplace has been adjusting to a significantly increasing frequency of, you know, storms and climate related events that are impacting their profitability. And they've been working to get rates adequate and structures, meaning deductible structures and, you know, coverage limitations and so forth uh, to a point where they feel they can write the business profitably. And so we're seeing some signs that the the pace of the increases is is diminishing a bit across certain lines of business. You know, I don't think that, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to get better. You know, I think our thinking on this as an organization is that sometime, you know, in the second or third quarter of 2021, you know, we'll start to see, you know, some of the evidence of that, but, or I should say some further evidence of that, but it's going to be, it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen fast when it gets started, but it's going to be inconsistent in terms of lines of business and the nature of, of the industry that's being underwritten. So, you know, I, I think this is, this is a two-year-old hard market. Uh, it takes a while for rates to get adequate, but what ends up happening as soon as rates get adequate or, you know, even too high, we start to see other capital and other providers coming into the space because they feel they can make money in that rate environment. And then as night follows day, you know, it becomes kind of a race uh, to the bottom in terms of competing to retain that business. And so as new capital and new players come in to compete, it puts pressure on the existing marketplace uh, providers. And that's where we start to see the dam break and, you know, and, and rates begin to either come down or stay, you know, to stabilize or start to come down. Got it. So the pandemic seems like a, an unprecedented situation, obviously, but the sort of larger cycle of the insurance market goes on. So I guess one other kind of big picture topic that I'm curious to get your thoughts on is just with the new administration coming into Washington, and it looks like a Democratic-controlled Congress as well as White House. What, what are your thoughts on the impacts of that on things like liability protections and tort reform? Well, I think it's, that's a really good question, and I think it, it gives me an opportunity to kind of draw some distinction. So, you know, tort reform is really a much more broad and all-encompassing policy change that would impact, you know, the broader tort liability system. And that's not what has been bantied about, although it often gets conflated by even policymakers. We're talking about you know, in our team, myself, I'm on the board of Argentum. We've been Argentum, and we've been partnering with ASHA and a couple of the other uh, trade organizations, and then a couple of folks on my team that understand the litigation environment have been working literally since this thing started on a state-by-state strategy to get executive orders or state legislation to limit liability exposure on an emergency basis for claims arising out of COVID-19, except in cases where there's gross negligence or willful misconduct. And we had a fair amount of success. You know, I think there's 12 or 13 states where we've gotten that sort of limited protection and it's blue states and it's red states. You know, Governor Pritzker, Governor Cuomo issued executive orders early on in Illinois and New York, you know, providing immunity uh, to healthcare providers. And, And there was some legislative action in a few other states. At the same time, we've been working on a federal solution that 
actually makes it much clearer and goes beyond what's called the PREP Act, which I'll talk about in a minute. But I think we've all been watching and reading the saga of the latest stimulus bill. And there was a dynamic working through uh, this last one that up until the, the change in the election, I think there was a lot of hope that the Congress would would bring forth a stimulus bill. And Leader McConnell on the Republican side has always said his, his line in the sand on any additional stimulus was going to be liability protections for business so we can reopen the, the economy. And that went nowhere. And then in the final stimulus package that came out, there was, you know, they, did, they just didn't address it. So apparently it wasn't a very bright line in the sand because it, it ended up not being in the final bill. We were very disappointed by that. And so that leads me to the PREP Act, which is a federal act that was established in the wake of 9-11. And it actually uh, provides immunity to covered persons who are deploying covered countermeasures during a medical emergency. There has to be an emergency uh, called by the Secretary of HHS. That happened early on. So the PREP Act was actually invoked by Secretary Azar early on. And then there are significant and important protections provided by the PREP Act that will limit uh, liability in some of the cases. So the PREP Act, you know, if there are allegations made against a senior living provider, we were successful working uh, with Argentum and and ASHA in, in soliciting HHS for a letter, which they issued stating that assisted living organizations are considered covered organizations or that, that, that are you know eligible to be protected under the PREP Act. So that's a very positive thing. These cases, you know, the case, there, there are not a ton of cases that have been filed yet. We know there will be a lot and we're hopeful that we're able, you know, these state court judges are able and federal judges are able to you know remand this into the federal system, which is where the PREP Act adjudicates these cases uh, that'll provide some protection. But it's going to be very challenging because there's COVID-19 exclusions on every, you know, almost every single policy that's issued today or has been since April to a senior living provider. They have, you know, a COVID exclusion most likely on their general professional liability policy. And so they may have had coverage for for the pandemic, if, if for their renewals, for their policies that were enforced before, you know, which actually, you know, before the pandemic started, but if they renewed their insurance program after April, it's very likely that their April forward policy has a COVID-19 exclusion. And so these, these folks are running bare in some cases and don't have coverage if there's another pandemic that happens. Mm. Big problem. Got to keep the pressure on. We got to keep the pressure on for the liability piece because it could put a lot of these folks out of business. And the worst case scenario, you have a situation where the industry sort of got a bit neglected with at the federal level with direct reimbursements and direct payments to the industry, the way they bailed out other industries. They did, you know, a lot of that money came through the provider relief fund, but it came late and there wasn't a ton of it. Most of it was reserved for Medicare you know, organizations where Medicare was the main payor. Um, and so it would be a shame if the money that did get into the industry to support taking care of residents, the increased PPE expenses and testing and vaccines and all of the challenges they had to face, only to have the money 
then transfer to the plaintiff's bar. And there, you know, there are websites out there now with, with plaintiff organizations, uh, lawyers, you know, seeking to gather as many COVID-19 potential uh, claimants as possible. And as a real insult, uh, we learned that one of the major plaintiff's firms actually received a, a $12.5 million PPP loan from the federal government. And that money, you know, happened to correspond with a significant increase in the firm's advertising. So it's 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 a real shame. And we got to make sure that the dollars are going to take care of residents and allow our operators to be able to do what they need to do to deliver care. All right. Yeah, that is um, clearly a challenge. So I think an important message uh, and maybe a good sort of call to action to end on with our conversation, just to remind people to keep sure. the pressure on on that topic. Um, but this was a great conversation. Any concluding thoughts you want to offer or other topics that we didn't get to that you want to uh, offer any thoughts on? Well, I, I do think it would be valuable for anyone interested in helping the industry to tackle that issue. Advocacy is, is really, really important. And I think what we learned as an industry is that at the federal level, we need to really step up our, our advocacy work. And so you'll see ASHA working really, really hard to raise money uh, into their federal pack. And Argentum uh, is doing the same thing. Argentum will, you know, just announced today their, and I, I chair the Argentum pack. And so this is near and dear to my heart, the Argentum Advocates, which is essentially a way for industry partners, people like me and others that serve the industry but are not operators, to be able to join as an Argentum advocate at no cost, but that would allow them to participate in donations to the Argentum PAC and advocacy fund, which will help uh, the entire industry to be able to, A, advocate for continued financial relief and support through the pandemic, but also this other advocacy effort around liability immunity protection for COVID-19. And that liability, again, is limited in time and scope. So we're hopeful we'll be able to, to get something done. All right. Well, thanks again so much for joining uh, the podcast. I think this was a really informative conversation. So thanks for your thoughts. And until next time. Well, thank you, Tim. Appreciate you having us. And I want to thank you and Aging Media because you guys, you know, you've worked hard over the last, over the last nine months trying to stay on top of all this and you've been getting out really good information on behalf of the industry so thank you that does it for this episode of transform once again i'd like to highlight the annual senior housing news build conference in 2021 build will take place november 17th and 18th in chicago join us to hear how innovators disruptors and industry players are redefining development and design for a new era of senior living Learn more at seniorhousingnews.com forward slash event forward slash build. I'm Tim Mullaney. Thanks for listening.